This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Of radio. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible, and foul. Socially unacceptable. Totally uninhibited. Adult themes language. So if you're easily offended. If you're easily triggered. Then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind. Parental discretion is advised. Alright everybody, welcome to this episode of Mysterious Circumstances. Before we get going, I have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. Susan Gable, Lindsay Crocker, thank you very, very much. And I hope you guys are enjoying the backlog of episodes I got on there. I think I got like 75 or 80 by now. And it's also the end of the month, so the next three episodes are going to be dropping here in the next few days, which is awesome. For all of you $10 Patreon subscribers, get a hold of me, send me a message on Patreon, you can email me, message me on social media, let's set up some times, have a video chat, you guys can pretty much ask me whatever you want, you guys know that, so it's all good. Uh, I do have an announcement to make at the end of this episode regarding the foreseeable future of Mysterious Circumstances podcast, and I also have some reviews to read as well, so... If you want to stick around after the podcast and see what's going on, here's some reviews. You're more than welcome to. If not, that's fine as well. And if anybody wants to join Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. You can check out the tiers. I have a two, five, and ten dollar tier. Check out the tiers, see if it's something you'd like. If not, that's fine as well. With all that behind us, let's go ahead and talk about some government funded UFOs. I don't know why I've been on such a UFO kick lately. Literally no fucking reason. I cannot tell you why I've been on this kick lately, but I'm not a UFO guy. I'm not really an alien guy, and this isn't even about aliens. It's about the government funding an aircraft that resembles a UFO. And if you take a look in the episode description, I got a couple links posted in there to where you can go check out the declassified documents yourselves, couple hundred pages worth of stuff, all kinds of schematic drawings. There's a lot of information there. If you want to dig through it yourself, you are more than welcome to. But with that being said, my name is Justin. This is Mysterious Circumstances. And you're listening to Project 1794. Alright, 
So in 2012, this memo gets declassified, and it's titled Project 1794, and it's a development summary, and there are reports dated April 2nd to May 30th, 1956. This was finally declassified by the United States Air Force. And as it turns out, both the Canadian and the U.S. government were looking into creating a flying disc starting in about 1952. Now, these reports describe an aircraft with a capability of flying between Mach 3 and Mach 4. Now, to give you some reference, Mach 3 is about 2,300 miles an hour. That would be 3,700 kilometers an hour. That is four times faster than the average passenger plane today. Now, they wanted to design this thing to fly over 100,000 feet, which would be about 30,000 meters, and it would have a maximum range of about 1,000 nautical miles, which would be about 1,150 miles or 1,900 kilometers. So, they wanted this thing to fly far, fly high, and fly super fucking fast, right? And when you start looking at the schematics of it, I mean... They literally designed this thing to look like a fucking UFO. It was jointly developed by Avro Canada Aircraft Manufacturing Company, and this company started in 1945. Project 1794 was to be America's flying saucer weapon, and it was supposed to act like both a helicopter and a supersonic jet fighter. And its mission, basically, at this point in time, in the mid-50s, uh, it would be to hunt down and intercept Soviet long-range bombers. And they wanted this design because during the Cold War and shit, if the Soviets would bomb a bunch of landing strips or Air Force bases or anything like that, they needed something that would be able to take off and land pretty much fucking anywhere. And they also wanted to design this thing like a UFO so that it would kind of psychologically fuck up the enemy. All right? Like... You see this thing flying, and trust me, there's plenty of YouTube videos on here, and um, a couple of which are my sources for information, which I'll state after the podcast. But I mean, it's a it's a weird looking thing, right? It looks just like a damn UFO. So you know, they wanted to psychologically fuck up the enemy, but still be able to engage them and still have the ability to take off and land vertically anywhere, kind of like a helicopter, like I said. So the mastermind behind this whole thing is a guy named John Carver Meadows Frost. And I shit you not, this guy went by the name Jack Frost. And he was a British aircraft designer. And his big contributions, he pioneered supersonic British experimental aircraft. He was a chief designer who pretty much led Canada's first jet fighter project, which was the Avro Canada CF-100. And he basically rode all that all the way through it was a completed project and it was a success this is the guy who was the mastermind behind the avro car flying saucer which is what they called it the thing about jack frost that you got to know is first of all yeah you probably laugh at his name whatever it is i did when i first heard it but he was a very renowned and respected design engineer like this dude was hella smart And while he was working on the CF-100 research team, 
he created this special projects group. And it was this huge group of experimental designers and engineers. And they were in this building across from Avro Canada headquarters, and they worked on all these secret projects together. And this is where Project Y was born. Now, Project Y was Frost trying to work in the aircraft industry, and that's when he started looking into vertical takeoff and landing technologies. Now, the idea uh, came from his experiments from uh, Kawanda Effect, which is the tendency of a fluid jet to stay attached to a convex surface. Now, if you don't know the difference between concave and convex, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You didn't pay attention in school. Concave is basically like if you're looking at a bowl, it's looking down into the concave side you know you like it's like a little cave convex would be if you flipped it over upside down and it had that hump going upward that's the difference between convex and concave but he took that effect and he was do also doing experiments with ground effect which is a consequence of the distortion of airflow below such surfaces attributable to the proximity of the ground so basically like the same thing as like the the vertical takeoff type scenario okay so like I said, like at this point in time in the world, in the 1950s, they saw the threat of a nuclear war and they were thinking all these bases were going to get fucking destroyed, all these air bases. So like I had mentioned previously, they needed an aircraft that could take off and land in pretty much any kind of limited space, any kind of field, anything like that. So Project Y was how this kind of all came about. And they were trying to figure out some kind of way to develop an aircraft that could do this aside from a helicopter. And they needed the supersonic speed. Okay, so in the 50s, they made a lot of headway with technology with aircraft. Imagine that. Kind of weird, right? So they are trying to develop this flying craft that can not only psychologically fuck people up if they saw it while they were flying, but they needed it to be supersonic. They needed it to be versatile. So Project Y was basically the possibility of creating this kind of craft, and it just so happened to resemble a flying saucer. The design concept was kind of based around using like turbojet engines, turbo rotor for thrust, and uh, creating a cushion of air and letting the aircraft fly at low altitudes. It was basically one large diameter engine that surrounds the pilot, and then they had a turbine in the center. And this would reduce the number of parts needed, and it would also reduce the cost. Now, while Frost is working on this project and shit, the Canadian government pulled out funding that had been set up in 1952 for this project because it was just getting too costly. So towards the end of 1953, here comes America, and uh, all these dudes visited Avro Canada to see the new CF-100 fighter jet. Now, Frost was not a dumb guy. He knew that the United States poured a shitload of resources and money into new technology. So when the tour came, when the United States tour came to check out all this shit, Frost took over this tour, and they made a side trip to the Special Projects building, and he showed them a bunch of shit that probably 
Avro Canada itself had never even seen. So he showed them a mock-up in the design documents for Project Y, and they were impressed. And in 1956, the U.S. Air Force gave him a $750,000 contract, which in today's money would be about $7.5 million. Then in March of 1957, the U.S. increased its funding, gave him an additional $2.5 million, which is $25 million in today's money, and they wanted a prototype. So here comes the Avro car, and they had a shitload of vertical takeoff and landing designs that were considered by this whole special projects group, and all of them had this disc-like shape and... This was the same shape that was suggested during the beginning of Project Y, you know, like the whole flying saucer thing. So basically, they came to the conclusion, we need to design a supersonic disc-shaped fighter fucking jet. And the design had a raised section in the middle on top of the engine. Its intake was covered with horizontal slots to admit air. And now this concept that Frost had come up with, he basically said that the performance is going to be around Mach 3.5 at altitudes of about 100,000 feet, or basically 30,000 meters. And the U.S. was really, really interested in this. They're like, fuck yeah, man, this is going to be awesome. But not all the members of the Air Force were supportive of the project. A lot of branches wanted to secure funding for a bunch of experimental projects, a lot of them being nuclear-powered aircraft. So they came up with this new engine design, and it was the PV-704, and it used a stopgap design, and it was tested, and it did not fucking turn out very well at all. This thing caught fire on three occasions, and it was so fucking bad, like it was so disastrous that even the staff and people like testing this shit, even when they were behind bulletproof glass, they were still afraid to fucking be around it because it was so fucking dangerous. Now, in 1956, the final test of the engine did take place, and the engine ran out of control and fucking exploded, and then Frost is like, okay, maybe we should kind of look at less dangerous avenues. Maybe we should try to <laughs> redesign this thing to where shit's not blowing up. While the engine concept was being revised, Frost decided to build a proof-of-concept smaller version of the aircraft, and that's what was the Avro car. Now, he went and he pitched the idea of this smaller prototype to the U.S. Air Force, and he received an extra $2 million, which would be $20 million today. And they said, we want two different models. So they gave him this $20 million in today's money, and they're like, we want two models. Now, later on, the Air Force added an additional $700,000, which is, again, a shitload of money. This was directed from the 606A program, which was a different program. And then they gave Frost an additional $1.77 million, which is almost $20 million, for the development of the second model. And he would also build an aerodynamic test bed for the WS-606 final model, and that's what these Avro cars were. So the initial requirements expected from the Avro car proof of concept. 
They wanted it to hover for 10 minutes in ground effect with a range of 25 miles or 40 kilometers and a payload of 1,000 pounds or 450 kilograms. Frost projections were really, really good. They looked good on paper. Now, he expected the Avrocar to overperform all these metrics, and the Avrocars, they underperformed. So while the test models are being built, in February of 1959, the Avro CF-105 Aero program was canceled by the Canadian government. Now because of this, almost all Avro Canada employees were laid off. And this means that the special project group that Frost had put together didn't have very many people left. Now after about a week, you know, after they figured everything out, some of the special project group employees were rehired, but they had to mix with two other teams, and they had to, instead of being across the street, they had to go into the main building, and the work conditions kind of fucked everything up. There was a decline in performance. You know, nobody was satisfied with anything. Now, the final version of this flying disc, this Avro car, was the WS-606A, and... Right after all this bullshit happened with the funding being cut and everybody going to the main building and, you know, they decline in performance and efficiency, the U.S. Air Force, they decided to cancel all the development. So a work order was sent to Frost with the instructions to basically stop everything you're fucking doing. And Jack Frost, he went and he like pleaded with them. He's like, please let me finish this work. Please let me finish it. You won't regret it. Now, a lot of the Air Force members were pretty reluctant about it. They're like, man, I don't know, dude. I'm pretty fucking sure like this is a waste of money and time. But funding was resumed. So they gave him back his money to finish the project. Now, they did scale model tests at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, and when they did that, it was revealed that the air cushion that uh, was meant to lift the Avro car, they found out that once the Avro car would reach an altitude of just like a few feet off the ground, it would become completely fucking unstable, which says, okay, this thing is not flyable. And it definitely could not reach supersonic speeds, all right? But they let the testing resume to see if any of the designs and ideas that Jack Frost had could be somehow used by the Army or the U.S. Air Force, you know, whether this project worked out or not. So before we get into some more stuff, let's go ahead and take a break and get a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Feels CBD. Feels is a premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. All you have to do is place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. Now if you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. It's a natural way to help you feel better. There's no hangover. There's no addiction. And when you join the community, you get feels delivered directly to your door every single month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. 
Personally, I use feels to help me sleep at night. I have one of those overactive brains that just keeps going and going and going. It won't shut up. It won't stop. I use feels for that and for anxiety because it calms me down so bad. I have anxiety problems and it works. And if you want to become a member, you can get 50% off your first order. CBD isn't really about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Just stress. Like I said, anxiety, pain. Feels is the premium CBD that'll help you keep your head clear, make you feel your best. It's hassle-free, and it is delivered directly to your door. And one of the things you need to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important, and everybody's dose is different. Feels offers that free CBD hotline to help guide you. It'll help with your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. And again, if you become a member, you get 50% off your first order. Now you can join the Feels monthly membership and it'll make everything way easier. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So if you want to start feeling better with Feels, become a member today by going to feels.com slash mysterious and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash mysterious. All right, so in May of 1959, Avro car number 587055 was the first to come out of the Malton, Mississauga factory. Now, when the special projects group tested this thing, there were all kinds of problems with it. The exhaust was sending hot gas straight into the intakes that were used to hover, and this would reduce the engine thrust. And unfortunately, the fan that was generating the lift would only cover like this very small area of the vehicle surface. Now, the combination of those things meant that the Avro car would only carry about 3,150 pounds or about 1,400 kilograms above ground effect. Now, here's the thing. The empty weight of the Avro car was 4,200 pounds or almost 2,000 kilograms, which meant that the Avro car couldn't even lift what it weighed, which means it was incapable of hovering above ground effect. So this was like a huge disappointment, and it was sent to Moffett Field, California, so that NASA Ames Research Group could test the abilities with controlled wind tunnel tests. Now, NASA's findings were pretty fucking bad, too. The aircraft was difficult to control during the high-speed flight, and it was very, very unstable. And then they went ahead and did flight tests using the second Avrocar prototype as well and they were still doing modifications on this and then on november 12 1959 was the first free flight test and there were still a bunch of issues with this thing the control system for the nozzle was inefficient and then you had problems with the spoilers which made the vehicle difficult to lift so after the Avro car would reach like a certain height off the ground, it would automatically start to lose altitude. Now, there were only five initial test flights conducted, and this was about 19 hours of total flight time. 
Then on December 5th, 1959, testing was temporarily halted, and Jack Frost, he wasn't even deterred, man. He was still convinced that this concept could work. He still had the second Avro car model, too, and he sent in a proposal for a new program that would rework all the propulsion and control systems, and the first model was undergoing modifications based on the findings of the Ames Research Center. And then in April of 1961, the first Avro cars testing was resumed. Now, this design did give better control of its hover capabilities, and it did get better lift, and the speed was actually increased to about 115 miles an hour, or about 190 kilometers per hour, because before it was only at about 56 kilometers per hour. So, I mean, it uh, it did pretty damn good. It, it almost tripled. But the main thing was when the Avro car would go up a little bit higher, they were having problems with the pitch and roll. Uh, like the, the nose would start tilting upwards, the side you could, it would just wobble side to side and shit like that. So while all these tests were going on, Frost had sent requests to rework the systems on the second Avro car and those finally went through. So he was able to modify and test that. But then the second Avro car underperformed and it only had a maximum speed of like 23 miles an hour, which was shit. But it, it still passed an altitude test because it could travel over a ditch that was about 18 inches deep and it wouldn't lose its hover. It would like adjust itself and stay hovering. Now the second Avro car, it was still unable to gain very much altitude. Anytime it would kind of like hover above the specific altitude of like three to five feet, it would just be unstable as fuck. And the project group that he had put together had no way to fix like the pitch and roll movements that kept happening as the thing would fly up a little bit higher, hover a little bit higher. Now, the second Avro car prototype did log around 75 test flight hours, which is quite a bit. And the project did seem like an absolute failure, okay? It's, uh, the car could only hover above the ground. It couldn't fucking fly. It wasn't very fast. And the design of it limited the speed. Beyond that, it was super fucking hot and really, really, really loud. So basically, the military is like, we kind of wanted this thing for stealth, dude. If this thing's hot and loud as hell, we can't use it for that. All right. There's like no basic stealth whatsoever. Now, Frost, he still believed in the potential for this aircraft. And he had learned all these lessons from all the testing and all the hours of test flights. So he submitted requests for further modifications. But in December of 1961, Everybody who was involved with it decided to not do any more modifications. They just decided to cancel the project. Executives at Avro Canada, they still believed in the progress that was made. And they wanted to secure like more Canadian funding or even international funding for more vertical takeoff and landing disc aircrafts. They wanted to do a lift jet version of this. And they could not find anybody who was even interested in touching this shit or even throwing a dollar at it. So they had to close the special projects group. Now, the two models of the Avrocar that were made belonged to the United States. 
The second model was in Canada on display for a while, but they kept it outdoors and it was exposed to the elements. Um, so it was eventually sent to the U.S. Army Transportation Museum in Virginia for restoration, and that's where they restored it. And the first Avro car was sent to the National Air and Space Museum in Maryland. That was uh, it was in storage until the National Museum of United States Air Force and Ohio borrowed it, and then they restored it, and it was put on display and has been at the presidential aircraft gallery ever since so <laughs> that's pretty much the story of project 1794 and the fucking avro cars and i'll just say this like jack frost i know people are probably like man this guy was a fucking kook in all honesty though he was a brilliant guy he just didn't have the technology to complete the vision that he had so my hat's off to him he never quit he never gave up i believe he ended up passing away in 1979 so i mean he was around for a long time like i said he was very renowned he was a very respected guy and he's very smart obviously but i guess all of this info raises a bunch of questions for me first of all if the whole Roswell thing was a weather balloon. Where did they get the idea to design this thing looking like a fucking flying saucer? Straight up UFO. Uh, I mean, could it be, you know, the old 50s movies and shit like that? Yeah, it's a good possibility. But, you know, it's kind of suspect, man. It's kind of sus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Another thing, too, is... Who's to say that this project wasn't successful and then they just put out the videos and the information that basically made it seem like a failure? Because right around this time in the 50s, there are a lot of reports of UFOs being seen. Is it possible that the government had designs like this prior to the mid 50s and late 50s? Hell yeah, it's always a possibility. You never fucking know what they got going on. The fact that they threw as much money they did as they did at this thing, what was it, like almost $100 million in today's money? Like something, I just don't see how what they designed, you know, could have taken that much money, I guess. I think there were more designs than what they said, but... You never know. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's just, it's super interesting. Like I said, I've been in, for some fucking odd reason, I've been into UFOs lately. I really don't know why. And I came across this and I was like, this is pretty wild. Like, could this Avrocar, could like a completed successful project of this that was never reported on or never known, could this be the cause of some of those sightings throughout the 50s? You know, it makes me wonder. It really does. Um, I mean, if you get on YouTube and look at the design of these things, actually, like I said, in the show notes, uh, go to the episode description. I'll, I put links in there for you. You can just click on those and you can get the whole declassified documents. You know, I highly doubt these are all the documents, but you can see all the schematics and drawings for it. And it's just pages and pages of shit, like 150, 200 pages of stuff. And like all the, all the design drawings are, are pretty interesting if you're into that kind of shit. But I don't know, man. Just raises a lot of questions for me. I thought it was a pretty interesting thing to look into. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I was going to put it out last weekend, but my kids go to school next week. So I kind of wanted to enjoy the weekend, hang out with them a little bit, you know? So I think that's about all I got for you. Um, 
ways to get a hold of me, you can email me, justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at podcastmc. You can follow me on Instagram, mysterious underscore podcast. Uh, you can follow my TikTok, at burnitall13. And I kind of fuck around on there a lot. I'm like, I have fun with it, but I do share, like, missing person stuff and still try to advocate on there. But, you know, TikTok's one of those things. Like, eh, I got enough social media as it is, and I actually have a fucking life, so I can't just sit around and be on all kinds of social media all fucking day long, you know? All right, and if you want some more information on this, uh, Wired.com wrote a great article on this. Real Engineering had a great YouTube show on this. It's only about like 10 minutes long. Dark Skies on YouTube. And also a bunch of documents that were declassified in 2012. Links are in the episode description. But yeah, other than that, uh, if you guys want to stick around for reviews, you're more than welcome to. And I, like I said, I do have an announcement to make on the future of the podcast here coming up. So for those of you sticking around... I'll talk to you here in a minute. For those of you who are not, I will see you on the flip side. All right, everybody, before I read these reviews, here's the deal. You know, my podcast is called Mysterious Circumstances, which involves a lot of different topics. But here lately, man, you know, I've been doing requested episodes for so fucking long. I still have an Excel file of like 100 to 150 episodes that are requested. And here in the recent months, it's just like kind of dawned on me that like sometimes I don't enjoy doing what I do as much as I used to. And a lot of that reason is because... I'm doing topics that everybody else wants me to cover. And it kind of like takes, it kind of takes the winds out of the sails, man. Like it's a very rare occasion where I cover a topic that I actually want to do. Pretty much how it's going to be is for the foreseeable future, Mysterious Circumstances is going to go back to its roots. I will do Unsolved Missing Persons or Deaths. If there is something strange or weird about it, I'm not just going to do random unsolved cases anymore. Um, there's plenty of podcasts. The true crime genre is a fucking absolute shit show, all right? And I just don't want to fucking deal with it anymore. Basically, I mean, you got all these podcasts. Like, here's the deal. You got all these fucking podcasts, okay? You have podcasters coming out. Well, these, these podcasters over here are a fucking money grab. Fuck them. You should listen to me because I'm holier than thou. And it's like, listen, if you play one goddamn advertisement in your fucking podcast, you're making money off of it too. So don't be a fucking hypocrite, all right? I'll be the first one to tell you. You got a Patreon? You're fucking making money, all right? So I don't want to hear you say, oh, it's just a money grab this, money grab that. You know, it is what it is, dude. It's not expensive to run a fucking podcast. It costs literally 20 fucking dollars a month to buy a host site. And if you're on a network like me, you don't even fucking pay that. Like Patreon for me is the extra bonus content that you get. It's ad free. There's nothing else there. It's just fucking $2 a month or $5 a month. It's not that fucking horrible. Okay. Now that being said, you also have these podcasts out here in the true crime genre 
who are like, oh, well, this person said these words wrong in this episode, and they weren't taking this case as seriously as I do, so you should listen to me instead because I'm more respectful and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know what? What happened to worrying about what the fuck you're doing and just not giving a fuck? Like, why do you have to throw fucking shade on everybody else? Are you trying to get a few extra listeners or something? Let your fucking content speak for itself. And this is like, I'm absolutely fucking fed up with the true crime genre. And I'm sorry for this rant. And I still have plenty of good fucking friends that I love in the true crime genre. That does That's not going to change. But just for me as a podcaster with the content that I put out, I'm fucking tired of seeing it, tired of hearing about it, tired of fucking doing it. All these same fucking holier-than-thou podcasters who are throwing fucking shade on everybody else won't cover a certain case because there's not enough content there. I can't make a full episode of that. Well, I thought everybody's fucking case mattered equally. Oh, so there's only two articles about that? Who fucking cares? I've done fucking 10 and 12 minute episodes before on cases that I've gotten requested for. Big fucking deal, man. Everybody's case deserves the same amount of attention, right? Apparently fucking not, because there's not enough information. You know, it's just, it's fucking aggravating. And I know I sound like a little bitch right now, you know, like I'm whining and shit. But dude, you guys don't even understand, like, the underbelly of fucking true crime genre it's a fucking doggy dog shit show and everybody's trying to one-up everybody else and throw fucking shade over here and there to get listeners to listen to their fucking shit it's stupid as hell man and then it's like oh you don't you think every fucking case deserves the same amount of attention but you won't cover this one because there's not very much information on it but you'll cover a case that's been covered 20 fucking thousand times over the course of the last five fucking years, a case from 20 years ago. You know what I mean? It makes no fucking sense. And I know I'm going to get a lot of fucking shit for what I'm saying right now, and that's fine, because I don't give a fuck, all right? I think the only time I'm going to actually do a case that is fairly current, unsolved, whatever, you know, missing persons, is if I have an interview with a person related to that case, whether it be a cop, family member, victim's friend, whatever. I'll do that, all right? But as for mysterious circumstances, I'm going to be going back to my roots. I'm going to be debunking paranormal shit. I'm going to be blowing up conspiracy theories. going to be talking about crazy secret government projects. I'm going to be talking about weird shit. Just the way that I started out, and it's the way that I love doing. I'm still going to be doing, you know, like some organized crime episodes, mafia episodes. I'm probably going to do some of that shit still. Because I fucking love that shit. And it's just like, over the past year, man, it's just fucking, it's a fucking doggy dog shit show, dude. And I'm 100% sure you guys fucking see it out there as well as I do. I'm just the only podcaster that's coming out and fucking saying it. You know what I mean? So be it. I don't give a shit anymore. I have other projects. Speaking of which, some of these currently unsolved cases will actually be covered on my other podcast coming out in October, and it's called Mysterious Circumstances Co-Conspirators, and it's going to be me and Lindsay, who researches and co-hosts some episodes with me on Patreon. We're gonna fucking do a show together, 
And we're going to cover all kinds of different topics, including current true crime. So it's not like I'm getting out of the game altogether. Still going to be here. But on this one, not going to happen as fucking much. Some of you might like it. Some of you might not. But at the end of the day, this is my fucking podcast. And I started this to talk about weird shit that I got interested in. And it totally veered off course somewhere like a year or two ago. And it's just... It's not the same feeling, you know, and it's like as a instead of quitting, you know, and just hanging it up. I thought about honestly quitting after 200 episodes. Just say, fuck it. Put in number 200 and be done with it, dude, and just fucking work on my other shit that I got, you know. But I don't want to do that because I still love talking about all this weird shit. So this is basically a decision that I came up with, and I don't know what to tell you. It is what it is, but... That's what I had to get off my chest and tell. I'm just telling you right now, like, dude, this whole genre is just a fucking shit show. It truly is, man. I never wanted to be in the true crime genre. I was always in every kind of genre, don't get me wrong, but... Dude, the amount of fake fucking people and fake fucking advocates that are out here, dude, so fucking stupid. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm still gonna advocate for missing persons and unsolved deaths and shit, because I'm not an asshole, I do fucking care. But as for the podcast, it's gonna be a little bit different, man. I'm gonna go back to the beginning, go back to the roots, and rediscover what made me want to do this podcast and what made me love doing it. For those of you who can't respect that, I understand it. In October, you can start tuning in to MC co-conspirators, and you'll get the shit that you usually like. And for those of you who have been with this show for a long time, you're going to get all the good old shit back, man. All the weird stuff, conspiracies, paranormal, just weird events, weird historical events, out-of-place artifacts, all kinds of that, all kinds of that shit, man. I appreciate you lending me your ears for that little rant. I'll probably get fucking hate for it, but I really don't give a shit. I've been doing this for over five fucking years. I've never given a fuck what anybody else thinks. I sure as shit ain't gonna start now. I can tell you that much right now. I do enough other true crime shit on my other podcasts, like Sweetie Anna Project and the upcoming MC co-conspirators and shit, which actually you can go like the Facebook page now. We just started the Facebook page, so if you want to do that, you're more than welcome to. Not sure when in October the first episode will be out, but that is what we were planning on, and Lindsay is actually way organized than me, so (laughs) shit will be done, and it'll be done on time, I can tell you that. So, with that, (laughs) sorry about the rant. I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, man, but... If you think I do, then I it's whatever. I can't do anything about it. So we got some reviews here. Uh, let's go to Podcast Addict. This is where I actually read all my iTunes reviews, and they have a separate section to where you can leave reviews right here on the app. So I got uh, Baba Yaga 78. This was on 62621. They actually leave dates, too. Says my first time listening. Excellent content. I realize it's not episode specific, but I read the White Feather book and wanted to be a sniper, but things happened. Hope rest of your episodes are as excellent. Thanks. Hey, you know what? That's one of my favorite episodes. I get a lot of compliments on that, especially from veterans and uh, people overseas who, I mean, fucking White Feather was White Feather, dude. Guy was a fucking legend. 
like I said, the only reason I did those episodes was to find out if, uh, you know, all those stories were real or were bullshit. Man, they were fucking real. And then some. Uh, next one, Terry Stafford. Fucking love this guy. He's from Fort Wayne. Great podcast. Always a well-researched deep dive. Rock on, my fellow Fort Wayne native. You fucking got it, good sir. We'll always love hearing that shit. I got two from America here. TMT6 2015 says, my favorite podcast. Love the podcast. Never go to sleep without you. Keep up the great work and thanks. Well, you know what? Hopefully I can serenade you to sleep. <laughs> you know, Hopefully that rant didn't wake you up. You know what I mean? But uh, no, thank you. I appreciate everybody who takes the time. And honestly, I listen to podcasts when I go to sleep too. So I can totally understand that. I don't ever... I don't ever listen to true crime, though, man. I quit listening to true crime probably like two, three years ago. I listen to a lot of other stuff, though. Probably like, I don't know, four or five in my regular rotation. This one is five stars. I can't remember if I read this last time or not. It says Mel477SLP. says, love this podcast. Justin is an exceptional storyteller in terms of his content, his voice, his style, interest in his material, and compassion for the people affected. Thanks for making an awesome podcast that entertains while shedding light on a lot of things we wouldn't ordinarily know about. Well, thank you, Mel. I do appreciate that. I try. And like you just heard from my fucking rant over here, you know, I'm going to try to get back to my roots and hopefully enjoy doing this podcast again. This one right here I got the other day, and it's from the UK. And, um... I really, really fucking like this one. It's from Arch Knight, and it's four stars, and it says, Late night pirate radio, relaxed and easy listening. Justin talks about what interests him or parks his skeptic side. No frills, no script, no pretense, no acting, no overused theatrical stage sets. As he says, it is what it is. I follow and randomly dip into a wide selection of podcasts, and have done since podcasting started. The podcast choices and styles match the various moods, time of day, and how awake I am. Justin's Mysterious Circumstances is in my chilled and relaxed portfolio. Though as it will happen, always with podcasts, especially if, as I do, you practice certain arts, study history, paranormal, mystery, and foreign cultures, folklore, and mythology... Then podcasters will present episodes that touch upon listeners' pet subjects. I enjoy Justin's work as he understands he is not the pretentious, all-knowing, overseeing podcast master, which I find humble and allows the listener to just amble along at a relaxed pace into the story. The Ghost House episode I enjoy most, then mystery, and then persons of interest. Thank you, Justin, for stepping up and standing among those who give it a go. I think Chris should consider the hours and guts that go into podcasts and have a go before slinging their own inadequacies as criticisms, as this just magnifies their issues, not yours or your podcasts. I can listen to a selection of podcasts by a number of podcasters while I design and produce artwork, which can be as diverse and as unusual as my creative style to the easygoing and comfortable podcasts which match my mellow creativity. So enjoy the frantic podcasts, the overscripted and repetitive cringe styles. Enjoy the academic-level podcasts by scientists, professors, and professionals. Enjoy the minimalist and the highly polished immersive podcast as here with Justin. 
enjoy the ease of a voice on a late night pirate radio from the rolling hills and valleys of moonlight mist the vast and incredible lands we live in and relax allow your podcast taste buds to refresh blessings and be safe my god i'm sorry but like that is fucking awesome When I read that, you have no idea. I fucking smiled so big. And I actually told my buddy at work, I noticed that when uh, I was at work and I told my buddy, I was like, dude, I just got like one of the best fucking reviews ever. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate all my reviews the same. That one was very thought out and very, um, just very thoughtful. And I fucking appreciate that so much. I appreciate everybody so much. Fucking love you guys, man. And uh, this one, actually, I just realized that uh, there's this thing called Podchaser. And I had a couple reviews on there that I didn't even know about. One of them is actually from a year ago today. And the other one is from a couple days ago. This one is Five Stars Embalmer Girl 2008. And it says, always informative and unbiased, Justin gives all views he can cover, even if he doesn't agree with them. The level of research and facts that go into each case is astounding. Great job. Thank you, Embalmer Girl. I appreciate that. That was uh, very nice of you. Next one is five stars from Jesse. Best podcast out there. Justin makes you feel right at home with his fantastic voice and conversational manner. I love hearing things I didn't know, and his research is top-notch. Well, thank you very, very much again, Jesse. I appreciate that. And like I said, I appreciate everybody that listens. And even if you don't or can't do a review, that's fucking fine too, you know? Like I always say, if there's an episode some one of your family members or friends or coworkers might like, just be like, hey, check this shit out. Word of mouth travels fast. And um, with that being said, thanks for hanging out, sticking around. Until next time, we got a bunch of episodes coming up here in the near future. We got the JFK assassination, which is going to be a big one. We got The Death of John Dillinger, which uh, I'm finishing up my second book regarding research about that. Should be out sometime here soon. I'm hoping here in the next month. Also have The Black Philly Mafia, which was a request from Kristen. Um, I do have a few um, regular cases that were requested by Stephen and Nikki uh, earlier on that I already committed to, and I will fulfill those commitments um, as true crime goes. Also, we have Casper Holstein coming up. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of off the top of my head for right now. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed, and till next time, see you on the flip side.